You're listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. I want to remind you, this is your opportunity to affirm my transparency and authenticity, so let's go. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I'm a sinner. Very good. This morning we're going to continue in a series together we've just simply entitled The Way. And the reason we've called it The Way is this, that's what first century Christian followers of Jesus were called. They weren't called believers, they weren't even called Christians, they were called followers of the way. And they made a decision every single day they were going to take up their cross figuratively and literally and follow after Jesus Christ. So we've been in the discipleship series together. We've been talking about steps. And we said in the first week together, step number one in the discipleship process is this, I got to give up. In other words, God, I surrender, not my will, but yours be done. I can't, God can, therefore I think I'll let him. Then week number two, we said step number two is we've got to think up. In other words, there needs to be a renewing of my mind through the power of the word of God. Step number three, then, we said, is to look up. I need to spend time in prayer communing with God. And our prayer simply needs to be this, God, could I know your will and then have the power to carry it out? And then last week, we talked about step number four, which was love. And we said, we don't just live the Christian life by ourselves. We need a community. We need a people around us that are going to hold us accountable, that are going to spur us on. Today we're going to deal with step number six, which is lean even deeper into community. And I'm going to use the word today, accountability. Now if you think about it for a moment, we're walking through this series together. It started with up, we're moving toward in, and eventually it's going to move to the word out as we talk about how we're going to do ministry together. That's discipleship. We look up to God, we turn into a community, and then we use the gifts and abilities that God has given us in order to make an impact in this world. As we talk today about this idea of leaning in and this idea of accountability, I want you to know when I first heard this word, I thought it was a dirty word, don't you? But I've grown to love this word the more I've been able to embrace it. Now think of it this way with me for a moment. Suppose you were to get on a highway in a major city. And you recognize you begin to drive. There's some pretty crazy drivers. People are weaving, they're speeding, they're talking on their cell phones, they're using non-Christ-like gestures one to another. And then all of a sudden, onto the highway pulls a black and white car. It has a red light on top of it, and it's almost like a miracle happens, doesn't it? Everybody begins to slow down, they put their cell phones down, they pull their fingers back, and everything begins to change. Why? In one word, accountability. Accountability may have always been there, but now all of a sudden it's front and center and people are held accountable. And isn't it true whenever you and I are held accountable, we make up all sorts of excuses as to why it's not us? They say that in police blogs, whenever they pull people over, there is a whole litany of excuses that people use as to why it wasn't their fault. There was a guy who was pulled over for talking on his cell phone in this major city, it wasn't allowed. And he said to the policeman, I know it looked like I was on my cell phone, but I actually was, and I'm about to go on a date, and I was pulling out ear hair, that's what you saw, I wasn't on the phone. 
A little bit later, they pulled over a woman who was weaving all over the road. She was actually arrested for a DUI. She had a 1.8 alcohol blood level, but she said she hadn't been drinking at all. In fact, what she was doing is breast pumping and talking on the telephone at the same time. That's why she was weaving. There was another lady who was pulled over for going over 90 miles per hour, and the blog said here was her excuse. She knew coming up on the highway there was a large hill, and she was just trying to get a running start. Isn't it true we're all full of excuses? The reason I'm stressed is because of my boss. The reason I drink is because of my problems. The reason I yell is because of my kids. It never seems to be our fault. We've got all sorts of excuses. And what I want to do today is I want to hold us accountable. Because you remember in the beginning of the creation of man and woman that God placed them in the Garden of Eden? And do you remember God said to them, listen, of any fruit, of any tree you may eat, but of one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, of it you must not eat. And do you remember they violated it? There is sort of a pause in the story and we wait to see what is going to happen. Will God not notice? Is he so busy upholding the universe that he won't do anything about it? No. In fact, he actually comes to Adam and Eve, and he asks them some question of accountability. The first question is this, why are you hiding? The second question is, who told you that you were naked? And finally, what have you done? Because God made a decision in that moment, even though he still loved them, he wanted to hold them accountable. And what did they do? The very same thing that you and I do, they made up excuses. He went to the man first, and the man said, listen, it was the woman's fault. You gave me this woman. It was your idea, not mine. He went to the woman next, and the woman said, listen, it was the serpent's fault. And we all know that the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But here's the amazing thing about our God. Even when they failed, he still loved them. He still made a covering usually animal skins that was there, the scripture says, in order to cover their shame, in order to cover their nakedness, but he held them accountable. Now, the question I have for you this morning is, are you and I accountable before God? I think when you look at the scripture, you're going to recognize the scripture is incredibly clear and incredibly uncomfortable. I want you to see this passage in Romans chapter 14 when it says this, so then... Each of you will give an account of himself to God. So the question becomes this, but I'm pretty good at hiding. Are you sure that God is going to notice? Here's what the scripture goes on to say. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom they must render an account. Well, how thorough will this accountability be? It'll be so thorough that the scripture says, but I tell you that everyone who will have to give an account on the day of judgment of every empty word that they have spoken. That there is this reminder all throughout scripture that you and I are held accountable before the holiness of God. Daniel Webster, the great statesman, was one time asked a simple question, what is the most profound thought that you have ever entered your mind. Here's what his reply was, my accountability before God. The most profound thought I've ever had, he says, is that one day I'm going to stand accountable before a holy God. 
Now, hear me on this before we get started. There are some things you're not accountable for. What people have done, the evils that they have done to you, you are not accountable for. For the genes that you've been given, you are not accountable. For the family that you've been born into, you are not accountable. For my seventh grade picture, when I was six foot four, 130 pounds, zits all over my face, and my mom told me to wear purple corduroys and a big pink balloon shirt, I am not accountable for that. She is. But here's the reality. We're all accountable for every careless word that we ever speak. For every thought that is evil that runs through our mind, for everything that we have done in disobedience to God, you and I one day before a holy God are going to be held accountable. Scripture is incredibly clear on that. Now the problem is if you look at our culture, our culture usually is more concerned about the outside than we are about the inside. And whenever there's something wrong in the inside of us, culture usually says this, well, I'm glad he's a God of love. Do you know what our culture never says, well, I'm glad he's a God of accountability? We don't talk about that, do we? Yet I want to remind you today that accountability is a very good thing. When Jesus ushered accountability into the lives of the disciples and the people that would follow after, it was for their own good. There was a sense in which he reminded them that the mercy of God was fresh for them, fresh and new every single day, but they were going to be held accountable. That there was a need for them to recognize that the forgiveness of God was ushered into their lives in order that they might be willing to come clean and be authentic before him. People, the idea of the forgiveness of God is to somehow access the holiness of God, the goodness of God in our lives, allow us to have intimacy where you and I don't hide anymore, where you and I don't pretend anymore, where you and I feel the love of God and you and I are willing to become clean. You and I are willing to be held accountable in our lives. So today, the fifth step that we're going to talk about is this idea of lean in, lean into the accountability of the community. And accountability is nothing more than this. I choose at least one person. And I say to them, could you become a part of my life? I'm going to share with you the values that I desire to reach in my life with regards to parenting, with regards to my being a husband, with regards to my job, whatever it might be. And I say, here's the values. And what I want you to do is I want you to speak truth into my life. I want you on a weekly basis to come to me and say, how are you doing in these areas? How are you living up to the standard that you've set me for yourself before God. See, here's what I want to do today as we talk about accountability. I want to give you four observations with regards to accountability. Observation number one that is going to be this. I believe that accountability is necessary because it helps me do with somebody else what I would not do all by myself. Accountability helps me do with somebody else what I didn't do if I'm alone. I'm sure you know this by now, but for the past 20 years, I've had an accountability partner by the name of Ken Branville. I love Ken. I trust Ken. Ken knows all about me. We gather together every single Friday. We meet together for about an hour. It's much more organic right now than what it used to be, but when we started out, we had a list of questions we would ask each other. Question number one was this, how has God blessed your life? We wanted to start in a positive fashion. Then we begin to ask the question, have you spent time this week in the Word? Have you spent time in prayer? 
How's your thought life? What have you been tempted with? How are you doing as a husband? And then my favorite question was always the last question, and what have you lied about? And usually you'd have to go back and share some things in a little different fashion. But here's what I would say about Ken. He knows everything about me. There isn't anything that's a secret from him. He knows my struggles. He knows my ego. He knows what I really am challenged by. He knows everything about me. And men, listen. Maybe this applies to women as well, but especially for men, we need an accountability part. Let's not kid ourselves. Every single one of us struggle in that area of sexuality. We think to ourselves, or at least I did, when I get into ministry, that desire is going to go away. It didn't go away. Then some of us think, listen, if we just get married, we're going to have sex every day, and it'll never be a temptation again, and it's not. And the reality is we need to bring somebody into our lives that's going to hold us accountable, somebody that's going to spur us on, somebody that's going to push us to likeness of Christ in our lives. Now, the question that people often ask is this, why would anybody want to do that? Why would you find another person and tell them all of your deep, dark secrets, the struggles of your life, all of your foibles, all of your hang-ups, all of your hurts, all of your habits, why in the world would you do that? Because our entire life is a training for godliness, isn't it? The Apostle Paul said this to the young pastor, Timothy, hey, Timothy, I want you to train yourself to be godly. Now, whenever we see the word godly, it's often this Christian cliche that we think is a bad thing. We think godliness is sort of this idea of some piety and we're distant from people. That's not what godliness means. Godliness literally means being like Jesus having the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, and so on, that you and I are going to be incredibly loving, joy-filled people. So Paul says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. And then he says this. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Paul says, listen, I want to move it to the sort of the physical of life. You know that training is good for you. You know when you go to the gym and you lift weights and you do aerobic exercise, you know that's a good thing. You recognize that your physical body needs training in order to be its very best. Some of you here this morning are probably physical trainers. You train other people in physical things. And one of the things you know is one of the secrets to being healthy, to good training, is to have a partner. Isn't that right? Somebody's going to call you up. Somebody's going to meet you at the gym. Somebody's going to say, watch what you're eating. Somebody's going to hold you accountable. In fact, trainers have this saying, your worst day with an accountability partner is better than your best day training by yourself. Your worst day with a partner who is spurring you on, pushing you on, saying, lift it one more time, run a little bit longer, is better than your best day by yourself. People hear me on this, because this is what Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, if you go to that much trouble with regards to your physical body, how much more important would it be for your soul that lasts for all of eternity? It's critical. They've actually done some research on this, and here's what they found, that when you and I have a partner and you and I come clean to them, we feel some healing happen in our life, and we're much more willing to come clean the next time. 
But when you and I are not willing to share our struggles and our habits with another person, when you and I sort of hide them in our lives, it becomes much more difficult to ever share. We swim in the shame of our life, and we never find anybody that can share with. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess your sins to each other, not just to God, but men, I want you to find another man. Women, I want you to find another woman. And I want you to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? Because there's something healing about doing so. There's something about taking it out of the darkness and bringing it into the light that has a healing effect on your life. That's how critical, important confession is. We're going to talk about it in the weeks to come. But James is reminded, listen, it brings healing in your life. Because here's the reality. It's not our past that causes us problems. It's our secret past. It's not our faults that cause us problems. It's our secret faults. And James and the apostle Paul are both saying the very same thing. Listen, you've got to take it out of the darkness, and you've got to bring it into the light. Then second observation I want you to see is this. Accountability works best when I invite it rather than I endure it. When I invite it rather than just simply endure it. The writer of the book of Hebrews says it this way, and let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So I say to myself, what do I want to be spurred on to in terms of love and good deeds in my responsibility as a husband? What do I want to be spurred on toward love and good deeds with regards to how I parent or with regards to how I parent my grandchildren? What do I want to be spurred on with regards to love and good deeds as a pastor? And then I say them to Ken. I take my accountability partner and I say, in effect, listen, this is what I want to be spurred on toward. This is the love and the good deeds that I want to be done in this area of my life. Could you hold me accountable to that? Could you make sure that you ask me questions that are going to keep me moving in a positive direction in every one of these areas of my life? I'm convinced that it's critical. And I often think to myself when temptation arises, if I give in, here's the reality. I'm only going to tell God, but I got to tell Ken. I got to tell my accountability partner. For every single one of us this morning, I'm convinced that accountability is not some sort of a magic bullet. Don't hear me say this morning, if you just get an accountability partner, everything will go right. You and I know that's not true. There is not some magic bullet by saying to people in the church, well, if they just had an accountability partner, you know this, don't you? You can lie to an accountability partner. You can dodge accountability in your life. But I think it sets you up for the possibility of a genuine desire to grow in some area of your life. To say to a friend, to say to a loved one, here's my weakness, here's my struggle. Could you help me in that? I'm inviting you to become a part of my life. And as this observation says, it's better if you and I choose that person than it's forced on us. If I sign somebody that I really love, that I really trust, that I really value, and I know that they're going to be a person who holds my best interest at stake, I know it's somebody who, when I tell them, is not going to gossip or tell anybody else, I know it's going to be a person who's filled with grace. I find that person, I invite them into my life, and I say, in effect, here's what I'm struggling with, and here's where I need your help. Observation number three, then, is this. Accountability takes a lot of courage. You know that, don't you? 
Some of the best churches I've ever seen are churches that give themselves to accountability, and some of the worst churches I've ever seen have churches been blown up because of inaccountable people. Some leaders are great, and they're willing to be under somebody, held accountable by them, and other leaders are not willing to do so, and it affects their life, and it affects their ministry. I want to encourage us as Sunnybrook Community Church to be under accountability. But in order to do so, people, listen to me, it takes courage. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually decided he would confront Peter. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Here's two bigwigs in the Christian community, but Paul recognized that Peter was giving himself to legalism. Instead of trusting in the grace of God, he was giving himself to a set of rules, and he was teaching people to do the, uh, the very same thing. So the Scripture says, Paul speaks to Peter. When Cephas, also Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. Can you imagine the courage that must have taken for Paul to deal with Peter? And what's fascinating is the next verse of Scripture does not say, and Peter said to the apostle Paul, mind your own business. You're never going to find that statement in the New Testament. Because people were a part of the body of Christ, and in the early church, they knew they were responsible for each other, and so they spoke the truth to each other in love. People, let's be honest with each other. We lack accountability in today's day and age, don't we? Patrick Lencioni wrote a book entitled The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He lists them. But he says the greatest dysfunction of any team, of any family, of any individual is giving themselves to accountability. More than any of the other four dysfunctions, the one that always rises to the surface in an organization, in a friendship, in a family, is they're not willing to be accountable. And then I want you to see this last observation, observation number four. Accountability is not just about avoiding what is bad, it's about pursuing what is good. It's not just about not doing bad things in your life. It's making a decision that I'm going to be the very best that God has called me to be. When Ken and I started our accountability relationship together some 20 years ago, he was in real estate. And I was constantly asking the question, how can I make an impact for Christ even in real estate? I was a pastor and constantly asking the question, how can God use my gifts in greater and greater ways? People, that's ultimately what accountability partner wants to do. We want to have a friend who is working to see your calling brought to fruition in Jesus Christ. We often think of accountability in negative terms. Well, it's just to help people stop from drinking. It's just to help guys stop looking at pornography. It's just to help you be a better husband or a better wife. Certainly, we want to stop negative behavior. But I want to remind you this morning, God is much more concerned about the good that you do and the impact you can make for the kingdom of Christ than he is about some habits and hurts and hang-ups in your life. He's always spurring you on in this direction. In fact, do you remember in the New Testament, Jesus tells this famous story. He tells it in Luke chapter 19. He tells it also in Matthew chapter 25. It's this story about a manager who gives some talents to a group of people. To the one, he gives five. To the other, he gives two. And to the other one, he gives one. And the idea behind the parable is simply this, what are you going to do with what I have given to you? And the scripture says the one who had five actually went out and he invested and he made ten. The other who had two invested and he made four. But the one who had only one 
made a decision in his mind that he was just going to simply bury the talent that was given to him. Who got the retribution of the master? The one who buried it. And here was his excuse, because we all got excuses. He said, listen, I knew you, speaking to the master, were a hard man, and I was afraid, so I hid it. And the master says to him, you wicked, lazy servant. Maybe Jesus is speaking to each of us today and saying, listen, I've given you gifts and talents and abilities to do ministry. I've given you an opportunity to impact the kingdom of God. And what I don't want you to do is to somehow bury this talent. I want you to use it for good, and I don't want you to make a whole bunch of excuses about it. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the young pastor Timothy, recognized he might be filled with excuses, so he says this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Maybe Timothy was using that as an excuse as to why he wasn't living his fullest for Christ. Paul goes on to say, but here's what I want you to do. Set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't you think as Timothy, this young pastor, is listening to his mentor, Paul, don't you think he's saying to himself, that's right. That's exactly what God has called me to do. I don't want to somehow hold in my shell, take the gifts and abilities, and somehow bury them. I want to use it to set an example for the believers. People, if you trace people all throughout biblical history, you're going to recognize nobody would have been used by God if they had come up with excuses. Let me just list some of them for you. For instance, Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Moses was too slow of speech. Elijah was too depressed. Gideon was too scared. Esau was too hairy. Jonah was a runaway. Joseph was a convict, Rahab was a prostitute, Sarah laughed at God, Noah got drunk, Samson had impulse control, Peter sang, Jacob lied, Thomas doubted, Zacchaeus was greedy and corrupt, and he was also vertically challenged. I mean, if anybody had reason to give an excuse as to why they couldn't have been used by God, it was some of the best-known biblical characters. So here's my question as we end this sermon today. What's your excuse? I mean, really. What's keeping you from living in full devotion to Jesus Christ and somehow allowing God to take the gifts and abilities that you have and use them for the kingdom of God? Now, here's the application today. The application today is not go find an accountability partner before the service is over and pour your guts out to them. That's not what the application is. Here's what I'd like you to do. Find one person, trusted person, And say to them one commitment that you've made as we walk through this series together. Maybe you made the commitment, you're going to read the Word of God every day. Maybe you made the commitment, I'm going to be more devoted to prayer. Maybe you made the commitment, I'm going to enter into community. Maybe it is something significant in your life. You recognize, listen, i got an alcohol problem and I'm going to get help. Maybe you recognize your marriage needs counseling and you're going to take a step forward and ask for counseling. Whatever it is. Just find one person and share with them one commitment that you've made. And then that other person can pray for you. Maybe about a week from now, they could say, how are you doing in that area? I've been praying for you. How are you doing in reading the Word? How are you doing in spending time in prayer? How are you doing in coming forward with the struggle that you have in your life? How are you doing? If you are encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper, practical look at the topics we talk about on Sunday mornings. 
For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.